Hopefully I remember the intro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ion Can Podcast, your home for in-depth commentary on lore, the High Republic, and the whole can of the galaxy far, far away. My name is Joel, and joining me across the continent, as always, is my buddy Matthew. Matthew, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, doing pretty well, coming to the kind of the tail end of summer here. Got a bit of a heat wave in uh, Toronto area. We, we does get hot here in the Toronto area in Canada, believe it or not. So enjoying the air conditioning. Uh, excited to dive into this episode. I know Andor got moved by a month or so, but uh, yeah, still. And it, it's always good to talk about politics. We make excellent dinner conversation here. At the Iron Cannon podcast. <laughs> yes, your conversation anyway. Uh, it's not boring conversation anyway. Um, yes, I'm looking forward to today. Um, having a that great well time. Done. That was well done. <laughs> um, my cat says hi. I, I gotta always plug the cat. Um, and speaking of plugs, you can always follow us on Twitter at Ion Cannon Pod. My cat wants you to do that too. Follow us on Ion Cannon Pod. You can follow me at JID2021 and Matthew. Where can they follow you? Uh, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, Twitter, NEUG45, Instagram, I'm NEUG1138, but mainly at Ion Cannon Pod, also on Instagram. Um, feel free to comment and, and follow that as well. Also, the Tractor Beam every of course. Thursday or Friday, my uh, weekly comic book review on our Spotify feed. Uh, you can get, see, get a link to that, of course, on our Twitter and our Instagram as well, and our link in bio. Um, my yeah, comic review this past week, I believe it was uh, Bounty Hunters number 26. I want to say I could be wrong with that, but it was one of those, one of those, uh, uh, one of those comic books come, that came out. No, it's Halcyon Legacy number five. Too much stuff going on in my brain, as usual. <laughs> Halcyon Legacy number five of five. Uh, fun little series, fun little book, and enjoying. Uh, yeah, it got me, got me going, got me, my juices flowing about about Galactic Star Cruiser, but also a few interesting cameos in that book as well. So check that out on our Spotify feed. Yes, yes, very much so. And um, as our buddy Dr. Holocron asked, are we going to talk about the early reactions to Andor? Uh, Massey, I don't know if you read them. Uh, no, I, I, I avoid those like the plague. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I've, I've read a few. Uh, very interesting. I can't wait for the show. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that for now. So I don't mm -hmm. want to spoil Massey's interpretation of things. Um, yeah. uh, and we'll get into this week in Star Wars. Well, just maybe um, oh. to tee up what we are going to talk about is just politics and Star Wars generally. This is so, Doc Holcron, you're, you're right. This is a bit of a setup for Andor in that we're talking about politics generally because Andor is going to be a very politically heavy show. And okay. so, uh, we do have plans down the line. It was going to be sooner, but they moved the show. So, or so, uh, plans down the line to talk specifically about protest politics in Star Wars and specifically when it comes to Andor and the Rise of the Rebellion and whatnot. But so this is inspired. This is Andor adjacent. <laughs> I'll put it that way. So, yeah. <laughs> Thought I'd yes, jump back. So this, is a, this is the Andor prequel prequel. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we are excited about that. Um, <clears throat> but um, this week in Star Wars, for me, I was thinking a lot about tone in Star Wars. Um, specifically how, in a lot of ways, if you really think about it, throughout most of Star Wars history, and you would argue, and especially these days, there's no one Star Wars story that's exactly the same. You know, original trilogy, look at Empire, look at uh, New Hope, two very different films. They were very different types of films, tonally, 
visually, story-wise. Uh, prequels, even there's a little bit uh, different, too. They're a bit samey, but not as samey. Uh, <laughs> each one's got a little different. Um, obviously, in the Disney era, you got the two Abrams films. You can tell Ryan's got his own style. You know, Rogue One Solo, own style. And even with the Disney shows, you know, Kenobi and Mandalorian aren't the same. And mm. Andor is not, you know, looking to be very much its own thing as well. And I was thinking about how I think when it comes to politics in Star Wars, everything in Star Wars and everything in art is political to a sense. But I think the tone of it definitely affects how overt or un or uh, uh, overt or whatever the opposite of overt you is. Did. Um, whatever. You did. Undertones, overtones yeah. are the politics can be, especially if sort of like if they're in the foreground, in the background. Mm -hmm. And just sort of, you know, I think every franchise should be like this. Like, no, like Marvel is very different. I think a lot of Marvel's political, but like Miss Marvel and Winter Soldier aren't the same thing. <laughs> uh, you know, Star Trek as well. TNG and DS9 aren't the same. And, True. you know, that's why people really love DS9 politics because its tone sort of really uh, helped with that show and the kind of polit politics it wanted to convey at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think every good franchise should be like this. And I just think a lot about this sort of stuff when it comes to Star Wars and how it will convey its politics and we'll get into how maybe individual cases succeed or fail depending <laughs> on, you know, how he feels about it. So yeah, yeah that's sort of been my, my week in star Wars thinking because yes. I haven't really done any star Wars related except for read Padawan, which has been pretty good so far. Yeah. We're, we're, we're both diving into Padawan uh, looking forward to diving into that next week. Um, yeah. I mean, what you're getting at though is, is how tone is part of a filmmaker or storyteller's toolbox. Everything oh, yeah. is about story. Everything is about character. Everything is about theme, and all those weave together. And so, tone, even literally—I mean, literally, literally—the score, yeah. the soundtrack, right? The tones. <laughs> see, see what I did there? Uh, but even <laughs> like tone in terms of the actual color choices, right? Last Jedi had a lot of reds and a lot of whites and a lot of very strong, bold choices. Even um, blue, even and, and a lot of blue. blues, yeah. Just to you be know, I'm talking about the Abrams films. The, yeah, the, yeah, the Abrams films had a lot of blue. Star Trek, the Abrams Star Trek had a lot of blue um, machine. Yeah, I mean, we talked. We're going to probably get into a little bit in terms of uh, you know the the prequels and the Sheen on Coruscant versus the the rough and tumble of the Rebel Alliance twenty years later. That's the perfect example, frankly. Is is two different trilogies two different aspects of the same story that are deeply intertwined and what i love about say kenobi is the way they merge the tone and, and when comic books and whatnot merge that tone when uh the uh the uh dark times comic book and legends merge sort of blend that but that's a bridge over two different things to telling two different stories if you will uh george looks reinventing the wheel yet again so uh yeah, definitely a great point. Something something we've we've uh, kicked the can around, kicked the tires around for about a different about a whole episode on that. Uh, I think we could definitely get into that at some point. Um, uh, two things for me this week in Star Wars. Speaking of tone and and the the lived in rough and tumble world, I did watch the first episode of Flight and Magic. Uh, I know it's been out for a bit. Uh, yeah, very very interesting. Looking at the real world. Um, I, I kept the, the very last line in the first that first episode. George Lucas is not happy with <laughs> the <laughs> lack of progress by I guess 1976 or whatever it was, whenever it was that ILM had made. We know the story, but uh, it's interesting to see how they're not sugarcoating that too much. So, 
very, very curious to see, keep watching that when I have time <laughs> to get into that. Um, one thing I was thinking about, and this is unrelated to light magic, this is just about canon. And, and Joel, you and I have kind of converged in having a more flexible, but uh, yeah. I'm using this kind of, there's a bond between paper and screen. There's a synergy. It isn't an absolute, you know, fusion. But we're not Sith. We're, we don't believe in absolute. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> I, I'm think I was thinking about how you know in 2014, 2015, and then into you know, 2016 when these paper stories started to come out. Um, mm. Yeah, I guess 2015 when when you know Force Awakens as well and and whatnot. And we were sold on this idea of an absolute one to one linear canon connection, and then that hasn't fully panned out. It's only panned out somewhat. Um, there are, are references and characters that come through. I, I thought about this. I thought about what's the real world aspect of this. And uh, one of the early influences for me, your mileage may vary. It was Clarity Council and how, you know, I'd, I'd watch that in 2015, 2016, you know, Christian Holoff and Ken Knapsack. Knapsack would say. Yeah, this was, this is, this is the, in the, <laughs> in the prehistoric era before mm -hmm. the prequels golden age, really. Um, yeah. yeah. 2015 2016 it was only what seven eight six seven years ago anyway <laughs> um you know how you know harloff and Napsok, for example they talk about wanting to read these novels and so they dive in and they'd be hardcore into them we know uh some a lot some of the major podcasters in the fandom media coverage uh you know have stuck with this you know alex damon for example is uh the the preeminent example you know just to, to butter is bread here <laughs> example of a major voice in the fandom who has stuck with being a completist but not everyone has and uh i wonder if there's an effect there where our reception of canon continuity was i don't want to say weakened just it didn't quite pan out because the major voices didn't stick with it and this isn't a knock this isn't a criticism this is just their choices and what they chose to consume and cover and talk about but I wonder if something had been different, if more voices had stuck with it, and, and uh, if our perception, here's what I'm getting, is if our perception of uh, the relationship between paper canon and screen canon, if we would have perceived paper canon as having more linearity, counting more, if you will, to be, use an all or nothing term there, sorry, to be a Sith, if our perception would have carried on more strongly, if the major voices had all stuck through. Now, a lot of have, again, but a lot haven't. And a lot of the voices around us, a lot of our friends don't, aren't into it as much. And that's fair as well. So it's interesting even just to chart my own evolution over the last eight months doing this podcast, seven months, whatever it was it is. We're into the eighth month now. Um, oh, wow. How, yeah, when I came in in January, I was like, this is absolutely one-to-one -one. in my perception. It all counts. And now I still kind of hold that. I still say, you know, this could influence that. This could, this helps me interpret that thing. Maybe that happens. But, or for example, you know, the, uh, in, in Kenobi with uh, Vader claiming to have killed Anakin and how both Charles Soule and Kieran Gillen touched on that as well. I think that not everyone thinks that. What I'm getting at is because there's a, a, a more diverse discussion about this question in the fandom, in the, the commentary ad as, as we will of, of podcasters, mm -hmm. the actual reality of it is um, 
I mean, that's you know, what we're talking about. We're, you know, we're talking about a perception. Whatever canon is, is a perception, is a reception. There are theological parallels there in terms of receiving what is the faith and what is the canon of scripture. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm almost like just positing a what could have been, what would have been if people had just rejected it outright, if everyone had rejected it outright, the whole yeah. one-to-one, or if uh, everyone had just accepted it outright, one-to-one. Life is more complicated than that, and as yeah. we've seen. So that was that was my long diatribe. Sorry, go for well, it. First off, Omar H says, "Man, I remember that podcast. Huge influence yep. me on me too." Uh, Jesse Bennett says, "ILM is a great documentary series. I have yet to watch that. I probably should." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's sort of I uh, if I if I didn't do the politics discussion, this is probably what I would talk about next. But I guess we can talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I mean, I, as I said before, it's I feel like it's a situation sometimes of the details over the core story. You know, I brought up the bad bat situation. Kane's mm-hmm. story, still same, same master, same planet, same cone commander, just details different depending on the two things. Um, very different than in the Lucas era when George was just steamrolling over a bunch <laughs> of Clone true. Wars comics and books <laughs> at that time. Yeah. Uh so, you know, clearly there's that. But then you get other things too. So like I remember I remember reading the aftermath books before The Last Jedi came out and I was like, especially I remember in um what was the second one i liked that yeah i remember i was i was one of those people who was like i was so certain rex was going to be snoke and this was all snoke's origin <laughs> and then it didn't pan out at all yeah. um you know nothing against flash yeah we're not you know deciding to make that happen whatever that, that's fine mm-hmm. um that was a ryan choice people so you know like not even you know ryan was necessarily setting up for so, those books. the last jedi is a perfect film i'm just yes of, of course well obviously yes uh but you know um you know, I remember I was one of those people who was like, you know, this is all, this is totally, you know, all planned. And this is going to be, you know, this, this is Snoke's origin. And obviously that didn't pan out at all. You know, not even Rax himself has really came back in any ma- major way. Um, Sloan's kind of stopped too for a little bit. I hope she gets to come back. True. Uh, I, yeah. think she, I think she will. I think she got a better chance of coming she back. She better. She better. But oh, in yeah. paper. Oh. That's the oh, thing. Yeah. She'll come back on paper. She won't come back on screen necessarily. Oh, well, she, yeah. she was I, in squadrons I, for a little bit, right? So. Yes, I mean, I, hope she, I mean, she's definitely, I think, more popular in terms of what the authors are. But my point mm-hmm. was, I thought those books were like really going to mean something to the sequel trilogy, and they don't. They kind of do by almost accident. In that <laughs> Palpatine's kind of unknown regions exical plot is kind of matches a little nicely with what Aftermath's setting up. Although I don't think Chuck Wendig had any idea Palpatine was coming back, and probably was not even aware that because yeah. Duel of the Fates was still the script and in Duel of the Fates, Palpatine was not in any of those versions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was more like just happenstance and like, oh, well, this matches nicely. So um, <coughs> it's definitely something where it's like, you know, or as I said before, don't don't go reading High Republic books just because you think it's going to set up the act for Acolyte. Right. Um, it's, it's not a big, this isn't a big prequel for Acolyte. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it might, but you never know. Um, yeah. Oh, and uh, Doc Holocron says it'd be cool if Sloan was the next main villain sold Star Wars after Z- that's, Zara. That's as realistic as anything, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that would be cool. But, you know, it, it, is, it is one of those things where it's like, you know, if, if we compare it to what came before, yeah, they've done a really good job of, like, mm-hmm. building this universe, kind of, you know, making sure nothing is, you know, kind of just taking their time and, like, mm-hmm. actually <laughs> respecting it compared to, like, you know, George's like, no, nah, Mandos are peaceful now. I'm gonna all those books are irreconcilable. Just go it for it, Clone Wars series. 
Trust me. Trust me. Yeah. OEU fans, they'll, they they will tell you. Um, <laughs> it was it was. It's they went through the hard now. knocks, eh? <laughs> but at the same time, you know, yeah. it's sort of like. I mean, I like the Aftermath book, but there was a little bit of disappointment. I mean, mm -hmm. I love Last Jedi, so I don't care. But it's a little bit of disappointment to me. Like, sure. oh, this wasn't Snoke's origin story. Um, we got a different origin story mm -hmm. of him being a clone, which I, I can still work with myself creatively. But it's like, right. oh, I thought Rack, they were really setting up Rax to be Snoke. I mean, he was even wearing bathrobes. So it's like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, well, I thought this meant something for, like, they were hinting at something bigger. So um, just I'm just trying to get clear on the timeline. So, uh, like Sloan kills Rax, right? At the yes. end, theoretically. Yeah. So I guess, and yeah. That, well, but that's yeah. in Empire's End, which we didn't know yet. So this yeah. is after life day. But I mean, the thing about Sloan coming back, I guess, is the problem is she is out in the unknown regions, and so whenever Lucasfilm wants to tell the story of the the or the real origins of the First Order, the story what what was going on in the unknown yeah. regions, then they'll have to bring her in at that point in time. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess there there is room in that year after whatever in it weaving in and out of the the, the aftermath trilogy because I do think to to Doc's question, Doc's point, I do think this is like Hidden Empire is going to go right into Return of the Jedi. So uh, that's my my sense of it. I don't know if I'm right. I could be wrong, but I doubt it. It's been long enough. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we can go back. We can go back to uh, yeah. that interaction, like uh, a new dawn and uh, everything around there. And so, uh, well, I, I, think, I mean, yeah, I think, so good. I, sorry to see, I think to, actually and to connect to Andor, I think the best example of what I was sort of looking for in the Aftermath book uh, was the Catalyst novel. Have you read Catalyst yeah. by any chance? Oh, that yeah. novel came out before Rogue One. Mm -hmm. But it did such a good job setting up a lot about Rogue, Rogue One was going to be what Krennic was going to be all about. It yeah. really enhances the Krennic-Galen dynamic, reading that book and then watching that movie. And, you know, I think that book has been the exception, mm -hmm. while everything else is sort of in retrospect, right? So, like, Shadow of the Sis is great. I love Shadow of the Sis. It came yeah. out after Rise of Skywalker and after when those sort of barriers were yeah. kind of removed. Um, Nothing worried you know, about spoiling, right? You know, Bloodline, again, Bloodline gave you the politics of Force Awakens pretty much, mm -hmm. but came out after the movie. And right. if you read the first Aftermath book, the first Aftermath book is quite frankly hindered a lot because of the secrecy of the movies. Mm -hmm. Maybe the fact they didn't really have all the details out. And, you know, there's a big leap between Aftermath 1 and 2, mm -hmm. even though I still thought, you know, even though when I still thought reelected, I thought that was going to be, you know, Snoke. And obviously Aftermath 3 came out before Last Jedi, so that so that kind of knocked out the Snoke theory, another Snoke yeah. theory that sucked, and then Snoke dies. <laughs> um, which again, I'm, I'm not saying it's the problem. I'm just saying it's like if you're reading these books as part of a, as part of a, sort of your hope to get like clue of what's coming up in the next movie, mm -hmm. you don't get that really that much. Catalyst has so far been the only one. Yeah, and maybe Leia, Princess of Alderaan, with Holdo. So maybe I'll get yeah, that. there's a little bit there. Um, Young Holdo. Yeah. I mean, you make a great point that being it being the exception in that it was written before. Right. I wonder if they're going to take the, at least the the lesson and say there is the appetite for novels that do tie in better. I mean, we've I mentioned this a few times uh, when I was on Outer Rim Transhibitions. We brought that up as well. Yeah, that the, these are these have been quite successful. We, we mentioned it lots in the uh, Shadow of the Sith conversation. So, uh, right. yeah, I mean. Here's another thought I had then going back to about the acolyte. So yeah, the you know, High Republic phase three 
probably not necessarily having much to do with the Acolyte. But who's to say Charles Soule isn't going to write a book that does tie into the Acolyte that is sort of under... Maybe, I mean, maybe there's an except, maybe to say it's still officially under the High Republic Phase 3 banner, or has the logo, or or not. It just happens to be in the High Republic era, that distinction you like to make as well. So, um, that does actually give us some hints and clues and set up the emotional story of what we see in the Acolyte. I mean, the only thing that I think has it's closer to like maybe even hinting at what to do with Acolyte is that one moment in Shadow of the Sith when they're, those Sith cultures are chanting Revit and Plagueis' names. But even then, yeah. I don't know. Now you just something that Adam Christopher wanted to put in. Because that, that seems like and, too. <laughs> or, You know, mm-hmm. two famous Sith Lords. But, you know, I don't want to make this too much about canon. Um, but that's just sort of my, my thoughts on it. But, you know, good points. Mm-hmm. So... Unless you have anything more to say, shall yep. we get to the main topic? And that I is, put the banner up already, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, politics of Star Wars. How has it been handled? What are the politics of Star Wars? Um, and I guess I guess we can talk about like just how we think politics in Star Wars has been handled overall. And I, I'm going to give my controversial opinion. Maybe I, I say mixed bag, and not and not in a lot of ways where you probably think. Um, so, you know, I'll kind of go pre-trilogy by trilogy. Um, you know, uh, original trilogy, um, simple story, simple politics in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Empire, rebellion, must defeat Empire because Empire is bad. Yeah. Um, although if you read some of those original drafts of Lucas, Lucas was trying to overcomplicate things a little too much. Uh, was big going to various planets and then like the queen of Alderanian, the jewel star... <laughs> It got very sci-fi. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, I think it worked because I feel like the original trilogy politics and the original trilogy story are both very simple. And because of that simplicity, you know, the, the politics can kind of dwell into the backdrop. And the politics are the background. It's not, the politics aren't the story. It is, you know, the hero's journey, the, you know, love between Leia and, and Han. I've got to say Leia and Luke. Well, brother eventually becomes sibling love by the third one. You know the 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 core is the 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 story is you know saving Vader's soul by the end of Return of the Jedi. You know there's not there's not a lot of like the geopolitics of the galaxy, and that has been somewhat criticized. You might say maybe in Return of the Jedi, like you know the geopolitics of the galaxy sort of puts the sidelines for the Vader Luke father son mm-hmm. story. Um, I mean it's there, but it's sort of like still in the side lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it worked out eventually, more or less, because you know the emperor's defeated, and then you know we have our victory parade in Endor. Um, it's the prequels, honestly, that I actually have the most trouble with, but not in the way you think. You know, I my <laughs> criticism has never been the prequels have politics. You know, that's I've always thought that was a very um, a very basic kind of um, discussion. My problem is I feel like it doesn't focus enough on the politics. Like if, if I ever complain about there's too much pod race in Phantom Menace. I'm like too much pot rage, put in more Senate <laughs> scenes. So like I, I'm that maverick in that sense. Um yeah. because um and all the prequel movies kind of do this like I feel like the politics it's not it thinks it's a political thriller, but in a lot of ways I feel like the politics are more just exposition to get us like to the next scene. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm gonna pick on I'm pick on your favorite a little bit, Attack of the Clones. You have this, you know, this interesting thing about a separatist movement happening and like but they never say show us why essentially the separatists are seceding from mm-hmm. the from the union. 
you know, it's like, you know, we don't, I, I always thought I did a commentary years ago with a friend and saying, oh, wouldn't it have been cool if like we went to like a Republic planet that's like rife with corruption and we like see pro and like Padme and Anakin are there and like we see protesters like saying, Count Dooku's got the right ideas. <laughs> Instead, they go to Naboo, which is all happy and peaceful and they're throwing pears at each other. Um, <laughs> uh, and then we go to Tatooine. And then, you know, by the time we get to Revenge of the Sis, what's interesting about that movie, again... Which, that, to be fair, for the record, is actually my favorite. Just put that up there. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I thought it was Attack of the Clones. Uh, yeah. No, uh, I'm, just, I'm just loving Attack of the Clones this year. But anyway, keep going. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, Revenge of the Sis, which is my favorite as well. Uh, but mm-hmm. George, I think, made the intentional decision in a lot of ways to make that so much more personal story. Like, Anakin's fall is not really because... I'm pro space fascism, essentially, which was kind of into that in Attack of the Clones. It's more like, you know, I'm worried about Padme dying and I want to get this power to save her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, joining the dark side, you know, there's a little bit of like, I don't trust the Jedi, but his his main issue in the um, in that movie is basically, I don't want Padme to die, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, let me let me save her. Um, and again, the politics are kind of thrown more to the sidelines. So, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you don't, you hear about, again, it's, it's treated more as exposition where it's like, you hear about the emperor consolidating power and the chancellor appointing governors. They essentially took out a whole plot point of that with Padme. Yeah. He had seen, sadly. Uh, and then when the empire mm-hmm. declared, just kind of like, oh, we're an empire now. Sort of <laughs> like, you don't really see it. It's, it's a lot of tell, don't show. A lot of exposition. Um, mm-hmm. which is a shame because Padme is our political character, and I feel like that could have really elevated her. Um, and then with the sequels, my my weird thing is because they chose not to really do politics, I've actually got less of a problem with that inherently because, like, you know, they made the choice. So it's like, no, we're going to be just more of a character piece of you know Ray, Finn, Poe, Rose, and Kylo. So mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you know, you can dislike it, of course, but it's like I think they made a, a choice. And, you know, they decided to be more of that adventurous, like, personal drama. So it's like, the, it's not, I feel like, contradicting. It's like, I feel like the prequels think their politics hmm. moments are earned. It's like, nah, we're not even going to do that. Like, we're choosing <laughs> to focus on something They're else. more honest about it, is what you're getting at here. It, in yeah. a sense, yeah. And I'm not saying George is dishonest or anything. Right. I just feel like he, he he's, and George is very smart. I've heard him talk. He's very smart. But it's mm-hmm. sort of like, when you're writing something, you know it, but you can't write it down. And I feel like in some cases, George sure. knows it. He can't write it down. And you know, I mean, he says himself he's not a good writer. So it's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't come across as like, it comes, it, 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 the message is too distilled mm-hmm. in those movies when, you know, it's like, it's focusing on the romance or the pod race or the more of the action adventure stuff. Um, and I can get into like other issues as well, but it's sort of like, mm-hmm. and then when the politics comes, I feel like they think they've earned sort of being this political drama, but I don't think it's quite got it there yet which and which is sad because i love the prequel era it's got the most nuanced and most interesting politics and probably the most gray star wars can probably ever get mm-hmm. um in terms of no true hero or villain um heroes on both sides as, as they say even mm-hmm. though we see the separatist and there's general grievous cackling like a <laughs> madman um so yeah. you know and that's why andor mm-hmm. and rogue one excites me well mm-hmm. we always saw rogue one um yeah Solo is also kind yeah, of in the, same, yeah. in the camp of, of sequels and that's not really a political thriller, but it's not trying to be. It's it's a space western with Solo mm-hmm. having adventures. But, you know, Andor and Rogue One are kind of look like they're, they're political thrillers, 
Rogue One a little less so. It's a little bit more, but it's got, but it's sort of balanced its politics out, showing kind of the rebellion and obviously Andor and just the writing of Andor from what it looks like is really going to put the politics front and center, show the mechanics of like what Mon Mothma has to do, what the Empire does to oppress these people, and what kind mm-hmm. of like Andor is our vessel to all of it. So it's like it really is going to be the thing that really shows like this is what political thriller of star wars could be um and that's mm-hmm. why you know i'd say this is why it's probably my favorite thing to come out in terms of like as a political junkie of star wars yeah. hasn't and, even come uh, out yet you're all 11 it. that's good <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and, and kenobi i give a pass as yeah. well because like again that's not mm-hmm. what's and again everything's political but not everything wants to be a political thriller i yeah. think is what i'm trying to get at and i feel like the prequels think they're a political thriller at times but i don't mm-hmm. think that they quite get, get to that point where the ot CT, ST, ST, I always say CT, OT, ST, Kenobi, you know, those, those aren't political thrillers. They're not trying to be. They're other things. They're right. trying to be other things. And that's why I judge them a little mm-hmm. differently because it's like, you know, Kenobi's not a political thriller. It's just, it's Obi Wan and Vader. It's a very personal story, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's why I say mixed bag overall. Hmm. Um, but probably more on the prequel side than anything else. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And Clone I mean- Wars, too, has some problems. I, I will say so. Your, your take on the prequels—it's kind of like uh, my take on the Last Jedi. I think, well, my take specifically on the Last Jedi—it's, you know, for me, it's uh, Force Awakens is too familiar, and I love how different the Last Jedi is. Kind of the the opposite of what people tend to say. So, a few things I'll, I'll unpack there. Um, so, first of all, with the original trilogy, yeah, you're right. It's a lot simpler, and part of that is—it's nice. Don't get me wrong. It's nice <laughs> when I. Say- but to say something that's going to sound bad, but I don't mean it that way. <laughs> Dictatorships are nice because they're very simple. <laughs> More <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, like clearly you do not promote dictatorship in this channel. Just so you know. as in the morality of it is pretty darn simple, right? Oh, clearly, yeah. uh, this this empire emperor, you see how he is. We see how even even the the time they don't need to the the. So our, my, our friend Din, he, he talks about the shapes and the first shot of A New Hope, right? Of this, this small little vulnerable ship being pierced by the spear of the Empire. Clearly, they're up to no good. Clearly, they're out to take down the vulnerable. Um, you know, and, and you know, then, then with Vader jumping on the scene. And uh, yeah, everything, you know, it, at least from A New Hope, but then I think it does start to get complex, complicated a little bit. And this is the point with Empire, the, the situation that right. Luke gets thrown into, that he has the seed of the Sith in him, in that he is the son of Darth Vader. And then even more complicated in the, at least in the person, this is the personal story, yeah. but it's a personal story that has these political implications in that there was some good in Anakin that got twisted in, uh, deranged into falling to the dark side but that he can come back and be in the right place at the right time again it's still a simple thing of okay you know lando flies in hits the north tower destroys the death star over endor uh you know the 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 kurosawa yeah you know the kurosawa moment of with the ewoks and the rebels and whatnot so yeah it that that is it, it is nice i do i mean i'm i'm trying to think of so the so I'll, I'll get there now. Then is the complexity of that is translating it to the real world, because uh, you know when when we talk about the Empire, we talk about the Ewoks and specifically Return of the Jedi, right? But this is of course the the 
the plan from the Star Wars with the Wookiees and Alderaan yeah. and, and whatnot of a, a Kurosawa type thing where of the Seven Samurai where uh, you know the, this this indigenous population can rise up and defend themselves against this evil empire, um, the Viet Cong. You know uh, both. I mean, it's both the Soviets and the Americans going on there, but still, the there's still an implied question of who actually is the empire. And we'll get to that bit in the second half. But um, what I will say is the Phantom Menace is a political thriller. It does get there in my mind, especially given, I mean, it starts <laughs> almost tongue in cheek here. You, you, you don't want the politics. You, you, you think this is boring. Uh, take it anyway. The taxation of outlying trade routes. <laughs> the way he I actually thing. think that's the politics the best. I actually yeah. Three so, so what? Where I'm going with this though is with the prequels, is it? The, I think maybe what you're experiencing there is uh, the promise of a more political story that gets overwhelmed by the personal. In a way, that is Anakin's experience, right? He's trying to step out and make his way in the galaxy as this nine-year-old kid joining the order. Finds things are more complicated. Um, I mean, there's the, the Kurosawa thing with the Gungans, too. Of course, they're more advanced than Ewoks, but uh, more more technologically capable than Ewoks. But still, there, there is the complexity there. Um, you know, he steps out and, you know, I think Anakin, he wants to have political views. He has this thing where the, you know, he, uh, I think uh, our fearless leader, Chris Siegel, he posted this meme today. Uh, you want to change the world? The, the, the Anakin had made me think meme. It's the actual scene. It's the well, maybe it was Ben. I don't forget who posted it, but it's the actual scene. You want to change the world? Yes, for the better, for the better. You know, this, <laughs> this is the Anakin Padme in the field, right? Um, so you know, you get to Revenge of the Sith, and, and the rise of the dictatorship has already happened, and so we know in our perception, the morality is is more simplistic. Um, here's what I think is. Politics, when we accept that politics throughout the prequels is still the backdrop, and it's just the backdrop for a personal story, then kind of like what you say with the sequel trilogy, I, I kind of don't, I don't worry about it. I enjoy it. My favorite Senate scene, I, I mean, we talked about Phantom Menace, my favorite scene in Phantom Menace, or my favorite Padme moment, you know, I will not defer, um, yeah, you know. Everything I like going the on. Scenes, by the way, I like yeah. all the scenes. I want more of them. Yeah, and and I mean, I get where you're getting there, but even in that same room, the allegory with Palpatine and Yoda fighting—that's still a political moment. In that, this the the infrastructure of democracy is being demolished, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and it's a reflection of things that maybe that is the show without the tell, right? We don't get the the legislation that added more power to the chancellor's office that went from, you know, Valorum being a, an administrative puppet, if you will, to the chancellor having real power. I mean, the, the, the Senate before the Clone Wars in a lot of ways was a, uh, a presidential or parliamentary Republic, if you will. There was not much. It was more, he was just the, the speaker of the house, if you will. He goes from being the speaker to being, the, the president to being the dictator that the, the, the films don't show that because I mean, to me, it's, it's the old thing of, uh, Oh, he wanted to show the clone wars, but he didn't have time. He had to show this personal story. So all I'm saying is I give it a pass. 
I will admit, or I'll say maybe this is the point, um, in politics or the backdrop, uh, the taxation of outlying trade routes, the consolidation of Palpatine's constitutional power. Let James Lucino do this in Legends. Let Dave Filoni through the Clone Wars. Let E.K. Johnson through her novels fill in some of the details. And uh, I think they've done a good job of taking the time to do that. And, you know, I mean, it, it but it, I mean, I do get your point in that. Uh, the criticism that led to say, I think J.J. Abrams being like, we don't want politics, we don't want politics. Uh, it is a silly one, because yeah, it, it doesn't go into detail. I, I will grant you that. I think detail would have been too much for a lot of people. I would have loved it, but yeah, it might have distracted from the personal story. And he, here's kind of the last thing I'll say about the prequels is um, I mean, I read it and, and let me be clear about what I mean by the word allegory. I don't mean just a meaning story. I mean story in which the personal is interrelated with the cosmic. And that's something that Mortis, for example, which is a George Lucas story, Mortis really shows us is the the personal destinies of Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka are intertwined with the fate of the galaxy. And that is something that means with the virgins and the force. That is the, the mythos that we've been given. And so the most political moment is Anakin and Obi-Wan and Mustafar, right? We had a, a, a Palpatine and Yoda in the, in the Senate, Anakin and Obi-Wan and Mustafar really dueling light versus dark. I mean, that's the, the grand narrative of the story. Of course, the complexity there is the politics of the Jedi. And I think something we'll, I'll get to later in the, the episode, but um, that's, I mean, again, it, it's my favorite moment. You're the chosen one. You know, you're supposed to bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. You're my brother, Anakin. I loved you. All those it comes together, the the cosmic, the political, and the personal all exist in one moment. And I you know, as an emotional story, it's riveting enough to say, okay, the constitutional legal ramifications, I'm not too worried about. I'm glad that uh Luciano and Filoni and uh, E.K. Johnson and others have filled in the details. I would love to see a story that fills in the details of that. The last thing I'll say is uh, I do buy the the critique of Force Awakens in that it could have used a little more context, right? At least we know oh, yeah, context for sure. You know, at least we know what you know, in in the prequels what that planet, the big towers are, and what the big that big dome is, and um, if it got destroyed, you know, we know what's happening when Palpatine's chucking the the seats down, right? Oh, yeah, We, yeah, we kind of get like... that. Whereas when uh, Starkiller shoots that planet, that could just be a random planet until you've read Bloodline or the uh, the Force Awakens Visual Dictionary or or whatnot, or the Aftermath Trilogy. It, it gives, I know, that gives the context. But I think with The Last Jedi, for example, this is my final point here, is it doesn't have to be. Force Wiggins didn't have to have too much context. You know, you talk about your your one of your favorite criminally underrated shows, Resistance. You know, Kazuda seeing Hosni exactly. and Prime get destroyed. Mm-hmm. We feel that, and we know what that means to him. And uh, yeah, that kind of context in the in the Last Jedi, Ray says to Luke, "This is all she need, we need to know. The First Order will control the major systems in, within weeks." Uh, oh no, it. I that's agree. Mean, you know, so I agree. Like, if you want a, good, yeah. a great example of context building mm-hmm. that does so much world building, 
uh, the New Hope conference scene. It's just the Imperials talking, and they talk about the Rebellion, the Senate. The Senate's gone. The Death Star is going to keep the systems in line, and the governors are going to reign supreme because the Emperor lets them. No, no, I agree. Like, I was like, yeah. you know, you got a Republic resistance to the First Order. How do these three factions... I know, like, you don't need to, like, have a... Just, just like, how yeah. do these three factions interact? Why do we have a resistance and a Republic? So, um, I think one last thing I do want to say and to clarify is maybe what I was trying to get at with the whole prequel conversation is it goes from a more complicated political situation to a more simple one because that's Palpatine's plan, right? He goes from, right. uh, you know, democracy that is messy, that is, you know, you can't control everything by design, by definition. Even in, in any democratic system, there are checks and balances and you have to work through compromise and coalition uh, <laughs> all the way to... I'm in charge, and if I want to go obliterate a planet, I'm going to go do that because I have a big moon-sized weapon that can do that. So, yeah, I actually, uh, you know, uh, it's yeah. it's funny that you brought that up because in some ways, the like, and that's why I add my this where I do take put on my Rise of Skywalker defense hat. Um, it's actually why I'm not bothered by Palpatine's plan in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. In some ways, um, I always see Palpatine's arc throughout like the saga. Uh, and even in Legends, it's kind of true too. Is he becomes more monstrous and simplistic as his plans just start being foiled? And mm -hmm. it's like you know, at first he's going to go down the patient route of politics and manipulation. Then he gets his empire, so now he can be a lot more open about his dreams. And then once he's kind of outed and destroyed, he's like, you know what? Screw <laughs> it! I'm going to just burn everyone alive. I am that. I am that petty at this point. I am that petty of a monster. Um, he, he he takes a dragon over. Uh, oh, what, what's it called? The uh, King's Landing. King's Landing goes nuts. I mean Sorry. that's I mean that's what his internal fleet's like. Um, yep. And yes, Doc, I know. Uh, Kenobi had illusions of genocide underground escape network. Uh, I, I I just think Kenobi did a kind of a, a good job of weaving the personal and the political together, and that's where I sometimes think the prequels mm -hmm. might stumble a little bit on. Um, you know, we could get into like again tone, and I'm going to mm -hmm. be curious like what Andor's tone yeah. will be like in terms of like how that affects your uh, political machinations. But uh, I don't want to spend too much time revisiting the films. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just want to talk yeah. about like what what are the politics of Star Wars really? Yeah. Um, you know, what well, are they? Before like, you are... do, I just want to dive in one last point there before okay. I do that. Do that. Back to bring that up. Um, yeah, I mean we're in a different era of storytelling, where we we are doing Tony these... Gilroy. Yeah, we're Tony Gilroy, but you know, we're doing these six-hour films. Tony Gilroy's, who knows how long an episode is going to be. could be a 10-hour film each <laughs> season, you know, whatever. Uh, the time to really flesh these things out. And so even if it's set in this era of uh, rebellion and empire, the simplistic era, we know Cassian is a more complicated character. We know, uh, Doc, things you were saying about what kind of, or was it Doc or was it um, uh, Calcutarn? Uh, last few weeks, we've we've had a bunch of guests on. Uh, maybe you both said it. Uh, yeah, the 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 shortcuts, the moral shortcuts that Cassian takes. Yeah. To to do what he has to do, moral shortcuts that Mon Mothman is going to have to take um, to do what she has to do. And so, yeah, we're, we're in a different era. I mean, we're in a different era in our real writers. world. Yeah, writers. Are, you know, it, it's 2022. It's not 1975. Um, there's a different way, maybe making a similar point but it's uh we respect complexity more now maybe or we can 
I don't know if we can say we can grasp it more, but um, I'll say this. George Lucas was effective enough in making a simple enough point. I think enough of us got how woke Star Wars as always has been. I hate to use that phrase, but you know what I mean? Uh, now we have to be a little more explicit and show the complexities of protest politics. And so, yeah, again, that, you know, the thing we're oh, going to yeah. talk about in a, in a few weeks when it comes out, but uh, the thing I'm looking more forward to most are the complexity of the protest politics. We know saw Guerrero's in the trailer. Um, yeah. And then, like you said, with Kenobi, the, the complexities there of, you know, or just not the complexities of the time to actually describe this, this route of, uh, how did you word it? Uh, genocide and underground escape networks. The last thing I want to say then is, is Ahsoka and, and Joel, you and I, this is a whole other episode that we should get into too. You know, I've talked about, uh, you know, the relationship among Jedi and Jedi politics and, who's oh, yeah. free to be independent and how does she relate to Luke's praxium and things like that. Um, yeah. Just a, yeah. just a, a, a teaser there. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh no, no, I, I, I agree. You know, it's like, um, that gets into my point about the first kind of big thing about, you know, politics of star Wars, just kind of the creative involved. It's like, you know, I will, I will praise George Lucas, you know, very, you know, probably he gets it in a lot of ways, but I, I always will always say, you know, George Lucas is also a, middle-class born white guy who was raised in the 50s and you know that's always he's only gonna have that blinded spine spot to him his career no matter no matter how i mean you know he's you know very you know not you know right wing or anything like that it's crazy fast now star wars here's my first book big point star wars is always and will forever be an anti-fascist story <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do how 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 you know how far left or how centrist you take it star wars is always anti-fascist um i will use those words because yeah. that is the truth you know it doesn't matter um you know even at lucas himself anti-fascist you know like where he stands on modern progressive stances i don't know he doesn't talk about that but he talked about the big things and that is very much an anti-fascist story obviously you know, the uh, corruption of, you know, the, the authoritarian systems and the fall of democracy, very anti-fascist uh, story. And I think that is the that is the core of Star Wars politically, no matter what <laughs> you do, whether or not, you know, if that means it's pro-communism or socialism. Yeah, who knows? I, mm. I've seen people give various ideas of what that means, but, mm. you know, for uh, papers about that. But it's still got that anti-fascist message and it's stuck with it across the board, no matter what. So um that is that is the core of star wars's political message i think um mm -hmm. as long as you stick with that you know you're you, you know tony gilroy leslie headland dave filoni you know all of them will probably come at it a different way <laughs> but you know it's still the same core message at its core i mean maybe i want to nuance that a little bit because I, I do see see exactly what you're saying I and mean, you you are right that it is anti-fascist from day one you know the mm -hmm. empire I mean, they were explicitly, they called them stormtroopers for crying out loud. They're all human. They all have this very upper crust accent. Uh, I mean, in 1977, all the actors were white, but in 1980, they weren't. And, you know, Lando comes on the scene. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and I mean, with Leia being, you know, the feminist icon. And, sorry. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll nuance that to say, uh, you know, fascism and authoritarianism based on appearance and ethnicity and class are always the great enemy in Star Wars. 
whatever right. that is. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you have, uh, you have you, sort of, and I'm going to get to this weird sort of complexity with the prequels in, in a second, but yeah, the rebel Alliance and the first order on the one hand. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking about the Nile and I mean, at least with the Nile, they have the masks that hide their differences. Uh, and the Sith have masks that hide their differences. The complexity, again, is the diversity of the Separatists, which we haven't gone into, which, I, again, I hope Andor really goes into, is, uh, and, and the Clone Wars did a little bit, right? I mean, especially with the, the Mina Bonteri stuff. Uh, what we know, right, is uh, the thing, and this should have been, could have been fleshed out more, is that the Separatists were more ethnically diverse, more species, specially diverse, is that the word? Uh you know, and, and they felt they had more aliens. They had more aliens for sure, and uh, they felt uh, disregarded by this core. They were periphery that felt disregarded by this core, uh, in, based on Coruscant and the core worlds that were very human centric. You could say the Empire had started centuries ago in that respect, right? Uh, by the right. late Republic, it's it's already a very human centric institution that. Give give formal equality to all all races and all species. The empire somewhat does even that. You know, I mean, there there's there, it, until the abol abolition of the Senate, I'd say. You know, there's still on free time. There's still um, uh, who's the the vizier, grand vizier, that guy, Masamita, Masamita. You know, there there are at least there right afterwards. So. There's Grand Admiral Thrawn. You know, there there are these exceptions, but uh, you know, the Republic. It's already a very human-centric organization. The Jedi, eh, yeah, by and large, a fairly human-centric organization. Their ideals would say otherwise. Uh, here's the thing: is is again with Lucas kind of point Lucas pointing the finger at us and saying, uh, "We're the Empire, right?" Again yeah. with the whole oh, thing yeah. with Viet Cong, right? And We're Nixon, the Empire. And, the Nixon um, and so it's a question of, and so that's flipping this question of. Uh, self-identifying with the protagonist, self-identifying with the antagonist. Um, the thing that Last Jedi does well of saying, what does a hero consist of? Is it someone who, who bashes in heads and kills the past if it has to, or saves what we love and ca called to love all people and all, all, all people of different walks in life and connect with them and be with them and, and sacrifice for them. Um, I will say the point about diversity and and that's the point with anti-fascism right fascism is the obliteration conformity. of diversity yeah conformity not just that yeah and, and so diversity not for its own sake but diversity for the sake of unity high republic shows at least phase one shows this uh struggling attempt to do so the nile again are having none of it and the jedi kind of relent from it uh, at the end and, but yeah, I mean that's the thing is, is oh. I mean we know with the the the, the bulletin board that they have a new anti-violent, anti-fascist. Uh, the, the luminous beings, luminous authors were set out to tell this story. Um, the Jedi and the High Republic are incredibly diverse. <laughs> I will say, I, I think Star Wars is anti-fascist, but it is a sort of fictional almost. I, I almost want to argue watered-down version of fascism, especially when yeah. you kind of ignore the EU stuff a little bit, because 
I mean, I would argue maybe canon more so has sort of moved slowly away from the human high culture side of the empire. Mm-hmm. They're not. It they don't. It, it's sort of that was always a legends thing that made the mm-hmm. empire like overtly racist towards aliens, and <laughs> and maybe there's and you know and I've noticed in a lot of. Well, the movie obviously everyone's human, um, but uh, <laughs> so I probably they probably just keep that for just you know aesthetic reasons, but um, and, and budget that, and budget, <laughs> yeah, and and probably and probably thematic reasons too, but like nothing explicitly says the empire. Like there's even a, a couple of the Vader comic books, like you see in the Imperial Palace, aliens in Imperial officers' uniforms just working True. around the bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, now maybe militarily they're all human, so I I don't know, but you know, um, you see this more in cartoons where like there you have very authoritarian villains but not it's not like it's the human centrist thing it's like you know they got all the, mm-hmm. the weird little creatures they're just all in uniforms um one of my favorite shows Shira is kind of like that where it's like the bad guys are the authoritarians but like there's no like we like only humans thing it's like no it's just everyone just we're the bad guys and we kind of got the empire looking aesthetic because <laughs> star wars and people recognize that so i think star wars has that sort of it's anti-fascism but i sometimes it may water down it's like the racism or even sexism thing like i've noticed the sexism thing mm-hmm. and maybe that's because they also want to just you know have more female bad guys which hey i'm all for that as well um as well as female good guys you know like admiral sloan doesn't really talk about you know her you know her gender being a problem i've i've joked kind of darkly that you probably have more rights as a person of lgbtq plus in the empire than you that's do in so america <laughs> <laughs> no, Palpatine doesn't care about that. Um, yeah. And that's more because I think Star Wars is an escapist fantasy that does that can yeah. deal with. Real they just don't want to go there with that. Yeah. And I'm fine with that, but you know, I'll people in the comments let us know what you feel about that. So, but I still think you know uh, that's why. But you know, it's like yeah, um, I think it's more diversity, both not in terms of like just hey, look, we got Mon Cala and Quorum. It's more like, I mean, that's important too, but like. Diversity in ideology, diversity in talent, diversity in friendship. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Empire's like, I think, in that watered-down fascism kind of way, you can be Moncala, Korn, but we're still going to put you in a Stormtrooper uniform. <laughs> still going to make you obey the Emperor. You're still going to conform. It's like, yeah. it's less like, the for a Star Trek fan, it's less like the Cardassians. They're more like the Borg. They assimilate you in the it's end of the day. Yeah, it's a good parallel. Siri act- Sorry about that. My Siri activated. Um, <laughs> Siri but, wants in. Siri wants in. <laughs> but, no, that's what I mean. But I think Speaking you know, of the board, it's perfect. So in some ways, you know, it is. It, it's an interesting kind of. Mm-hmm. We. I think we always have to be careful when talking about fiction and politics because it's not one thing. Now, as much as right. people love to say George, uh, the Palpatine is Richard Nixon, and in George Lucas's mind, he very much was. It's like saying, uh, you know, it's like the Empire is just the german from world war ii i mean there's definitely lots of inspiration stormtroopers but they're also america they are Mm -hmm. every napoleon caesar it is every empire and authoritarian it's not just this one thing (laughs) um it's never just one thing and in fiction we should we could take see where the influence is coming from but we should never say oh the empire is this the republic is america you know it's (laughs) like uh, you know, my uh, is George Watkin. You know, it, it's not like that. You know, it's yeah. not. It's not. It's, the, that's it's, too simple. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's sort of where, or I kind of come down on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I'm gonna kind of pick up one of the points you put here is it's not essentially leftist either. Uh, <laughs> and you know, just shout out to Stephen Kent and Beltway Banthas and 
everything he's doing as you know a, a I'd say a sensible right wing commentator. Of course, there's things we disagree, but he's a very sensible, great guy. has a good head on has a head on his shoulders. Great communicator. He picks up on what it is in Bloodline brings us out a lot is it's also not centralist in the sense of wanting to whatever, you know, whatever consolidating power looks like, even economic power, even the means of production. Um, it's certainly not communist as, as you get out in the notes here too. Uh, you look at George was pro communist. He was a bad communist. Cause he, but he, he was, I mean, here's <laughs> no. the thing, you know, it, you could make the argument, and I see it, that an aspect of the empire is nationalizing industry ostensibly for the sake of uh, ensuring the well-being of the proletariat, right? There, there's this logic of normal imperial citizens, we're going to take care of you, such as, for example, in Lost Stars. At the beginning, you that's, know, more, that's more statist than communism, honestly. That's more sure, it, it's, it's not statist, but even... Uh, even the economic dimensions state, of it, right? State. It's concerned with. I don't want to say the other one <laughs> with the D. I say state statist. Statist, It is uh. maybe it's a little sadist. <laughs> um, well, Palpatine. So, <laughs> so I mean, look. I mean, I'm a I'm a, a bad social democrat. I'm a social democrat, but I see the argument of saying, you know, uh, a government controlling the means of production, government programs, uh, social programs, social welfare in the wrong hands. I mean, that could easily be corrupted. I see the, the more conservative neoliberal viewpoint of that's always going to be corrupted. Might as well let private corporations do their best innovative work. Um, I think, I don't think Star Wars goes there either, but it is concerned with the nationalization of industry. Also, what another thing it's concerned about, and this is, I'm talking about conservative influences here on Star Wars. There are there. And, and I'm not saying, they're good or bad. I mean, one of the things that I'm all over and all about is this question of is Star Wars secularist? Is uh, you know, it does it say that a secular, you know, one word that that obliterates any religious faith I'll is also this. a good thing. I'll you know, this. so okay, you know, you go ahead, you go ahead, jump in, and then I'll I'll comment. I'll just say to make the argument if George Lucas is the conservative. I think you need the context of he is not conservative in the way conservatism has become today in 2020. Oh, sure. Well, he conservatism conserv today has become fascist in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, history. exactly. I know that's a harsh uh, thing to say, but, you know, at least in, in some communities in the U.S. I mean, there's there's this oh, yeah. identity ball. Oh, anyway, oh, totally. go ahead. He is conservative in maybe like, a, what, 1950s, 1940s. He is like... Mm -hmm. just, you gotta know you gotta know your history, folks, about your ideologies. I think it's very complicated. He's yeah. conservative in like that 40s, 50s, FDR probably kind of thinking. Maybe like you mm. know, in the sense that you know, like if Eisenhower was the Republican president, he still adhered to a lot of the New Deal um, yeah. ideology, which became which was now the dominant part of because he's obviously not. Because Lucas, Star Wars is not pro corporate either. You know, like no. Trade Federation, the banking clan, these are mega corporations. Who are drive are, yards, you know? <laughs> yeah, these are, it's all about, you know, it's. Or the, Sinner, it, whoever's making you know, the material. Ivan Eisenhower yeah. talked about the, the military industrial complex being a problem, and mm -hmm. Star Wars obviously dealt with that as well. Yeah. I mean, that was the backstory of Palpatine. All the mega corporations backed Palpatine, and then they rose, helped him rise to power, and. That was the Nixon, the Nixon story essentially in the seventies that Lucas grew up with and got freaked out about. Um, yeah. 
So if it's if it's conservatism, it is a it is not it's not modern day. And you know, it's like this is where we have to almost change the names of things these days because they're you know they're no longer what they meant twenty <laughs> to forty years ago. They're something different now. Yeah. Um. So yeah. If Lucas is okay. if Lucas is either very it's either a classic conservative or a classic liberal, but I don't even want to put too much. Sure. I'll, I'll say this. And, you know, whatever Lucas himself believes, uh, Star Wars does have a healthy respect for traditions, right? The Jedi and the prequels are painted. They're, they're corruptible and corrupted, but they're, they point beyond their corruption to an ideal of, you know, the, the guardians of peace and justice who submit to the force. And so, um, if Star the politics of Star Wars cares about the common good, cares about um, people finding their destiny, uh, pursuing their destiny, it's yes, it is about liberty. It is about people having the freedom, the agency to do it. Uh, but they have the freedom, the agency to do it because it's about values and it's about virtues oh, and yeah. about spiritual. identities. Yeah, it, but it's spiritual and it's communal. And again, that's another thing I love so much about High Republic is uh yeah they all have their different all the jedi have their different ways of connecting to the force they have their different identities their different species different sexual orientations different genders and whatnot it's all about coming together and, and asking what is the force calling us to do i know that's a very christianese way of putting it but uh you hear luke's story and you see luke's story and it's you know yeah it starts off with i want to be free from my uncle but then he meets obi-wan and, and it's all oh, want to be free to pursue uh this greater meaning in life overall and it happens to run into like i said at the beginning this thing he doesn't want to encounter he doesn't want to hear that darth vader's his father he he's he believes that darth vader betrayed and murdered his father and wants to find out okay who is this anakin guy and so his challenge then is to go he's still constrained by the reality of his his biological identity in that sense, right? Of his lineage. He has to transcend the, he has to transcend the last generation, the previous generation's failure to, uh, you know, both of the Jedi and of Anakin himself to, uh, to follow the light and submit to the light. But he does so, and he, he overcomes it uh, by, here's the thing, not by killing what you hate, but by saving what you love. And, yeah. you know, and so, doing that again not by hacking down the constraint uh, of you know palpatine being constrained but by sacrificing and surrendering his well-being to be with his father um not all or nothing never all or nothing right uh politics is never the uh you know in true community is never the the surrender and collapse if i use that term the the destruction of self for the sake of the many that's you know that's that's the problem with spock for example the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one the idea is the needs of the many comprise the needs of the ones as adults coming together you know so in, yeah oh, so i'm just it, saying it's virtues it's it's the virtue of being with people it's a virtue of hoping for a better world and engaging yourself to that you know and and of course he goes through the the trials and tribulations of uh, building this this academy on Ossus and then failing Ben and everything and then 
has to have Ray come back and save him. It's it's interesting you brought up communism, community communism, yeah. and maybe in some ways Star Wars might be explaining true communism in a way I don't think any well, real world thing. Is so the, the terminology. Well, sorry, I just well, wanted to say the terminology. It's it's not communism. It's communitarianism. There's okay, a distinction. Anyway, go ahead. But um, that idea of community. Um, I said in my notes, you know. And maybe if Lucas had done a sequel trilogy, maybe he would have had a different idea. Of like, you know, mm -hmm. Star Wars doesn't really talk about what to build after you destroy your empire. Like, we right. had a new republic, but, you know, Lucas never talked a lot about or never got a chance to really delve into, like, what he thought would replace the um, mm -hmm. the system. And it gets a little weird when you just look at A New Hope and sort of like, well, the rebellion's led by a princess. Um, and we don't even know what they're all about, all about until later. And that got filled in later. The alliance to restore the republic. Um but I look at two really good Star Wars shows, Rebels and Resistance. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, those two shows end with really no help from any major organization, not the Rebellion or the official Resistance. In, in Resistance, you know, Kaz and the community of the space station, which name escapes me at the moment, um, I forgot what the space station's <laughs> name was. Me too, um, shoot. We gotta watch the show. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. You should watch it because it's my point of the community yeah. of the space station overruns the first order. They don't get mm -hmm. help really from the resistance proper, the organization, or any of the fleet. It's just Kaz and his community mm -hmm. stand up, and that show's actually really kind of very progressive and left wing. So you should watch it. Um, probably. Oh yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I just um, I forgot what it's called. So, <laughs> show, you know, a diverse community of people rise up against the first order and mm -hmm. defend their home, and um. And um, and in the end, and in Rebels, same thing. The official rebellion doesn't really help out at the end. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you freeze? Oh no, you're nope. good. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's like it's Ezra and her and his um and his community from Lothal and obviously some of the people he's met coming together mm -hmm. to defeat Thrawn. And it's sort of interesting that those. And this is something I've also noticed. And Rise of Skywalker kind of does this as well. It's like. It's not the resistance, the organization set by Leia. It's just, you know, it's not a, it's as the officer said, it's not a Navy, sir. It's people. <laughs> and I think, strangely, this new era of Star Wars, and maybe this is what Lucas himself was going to get at himself, is it's not really about the organizations, the official institutions. <laughs> it's about people and people doing good for themselves and not for themselves with for others and it's, it's just kind of an interesting trend i've noticed in a lot of star wars storytelling mm -hmm. a as of late and um 11 the website they had an interesting blog about maybe the era of galactic government should end and could it be more kind of every not very essentially every planet for themselves and sort of a free-for-all but more mm -hmm. like Sort of like every planet sort of is its own community and they help each other out in a more loose network kind of organization. Kind of like various tribes, how we did before modern society and technology kind of came along and created the modern nation state. And mm -hmm. I don't want to turn this too much into a poli sci class because we'll be here all day and we're not <laughs> the best people to always teach about this stuff. But sort of like, yeah, we both maybe, have poli sci degrees. It's all good. <laughs> but maybe, I don't know about Lucas, how Lucas himself feels about, mm -hmm. you know, whether galactic government on its own should be a good thing or not, or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe his sort of thing is, you know, the community itself should come first. You know, obviously help your other communities out for a peaceful kumbaya kind of world. It's not like, <laughs> let's yeah. promote federal republicanism. 
yeah. said, like we have in America or even in Canada, like you guys have. Yeah. We have a federal republic parliamentarian with the head of state. Yeah. And, and we, we still have the same problem. You know, I mean, you're getting at the problem of representative democracy over this, you know, this large nation state, you know, where 30, I know 37 million isn't that big. Come on. <laughs> but um, yeah, the problem, you know, I think with the U.S., with, I mean, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, this massive plant in the National Mall, just you go there, there's no way it can really reflect the needs of every single farmer in America, and every single farming community. And that's some of the resentment, right, of a lot of rural folks against these big cities that consolidate power. So that's Star Wars being more classically conservative in that way, anti-statist. Again, it, the, the, the thing that it laments, the thing that we lament about classical conservatism is the loss of values, that it is now about pure, hardcore, I'm the strongest, I survive, liberty. And, uh, you know, and, and so the argument then is, is can only communities and smaller communities, local communities, uh, really recapture that diverse sense. Diverse communities, too. Diverse yeah, communities, not, right? It's not I mean, just white people. It's like, you exactly. Know, and, and that's Asian another people, part of it is, color. yeah, like people fostering empathy. And so here's here's the trend I've noticed. And this isn't just uh, in Star Wars. It's definitely in with, with Grogu and Omega, especially, but also um, you know, a little bit with Thor Ragnarok, or not Thor Ragnarok, Thor Love and Thunder. And uh, I'm trying to think of some you know other stories where, it isn't uh, where what, what's the other oh uh, the Orville with uh, Topa if you ever see the Orville and those stories um, especially everything that happens with Topa uh, you know we don't care about larger scale institutions anymore we don't see at least those I mean I don't know how how you feel about the flag and the Pledge of Allegiance and whatnot but you know maybe. I don't know, but I know a lot of people are probably ambivalent toward it. Um, you know, Canada, we never really had that sense of, of patriotism, but we still had a sense of maybe being English or French or whatever. In our society as a whole, here's the trend, is we, we don't really care about these large-scale communal, not communities, but large-scale institutions, large-scale countries. They don't grasp our imagination the way... Uh, a rebel alliance would, a republic would, way even a uh, resistance would against the first order. Well, the thing that grasps our imagination, that our tugs at our heartstrings, is if our kids are in danger. That's really the only thing left. The, the only thing yeah. I think we've got left in a lot of ways, and it is maybe sad, but it is a way forward. Um, I mean, Kenobi with Leia, of course. Oh, yeah, that's that's okay. a huge example. Putting this little girl in danger, it's like Omega, right? <laughs> Right. This kid in danger who faces all this this trouble, that's the thing that we connect and we link to um, as the bond for the next generation, the bond of our species, to preserve it going <laughs> forward, uh, the one thing we have left that we're willing to fight for and die for. And, you know, I mean, and, and I think there's a way forward there in the sense of we're willing to fight and die and, and live for our families. And so the question then becomes... Who is my family? The classic question from the Bible is who is my neighbor? Uh, and the problem is our, we do draw that circle too small. And right. if we can draw that circle wider and a little wider, uh, 
at least you know the people next door, the people down the street, but also then continue wider the people across the world on TV. Thanks to the internet, maybe we can draw that circle as wide as possible. I do hope we see stories that tug on our empathy for uh, for people who are not are not kids in danger. Um, so it, it's interesting. I, I'm 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 on both sides in this, right? It does pull on our heart, heart strings or tug on our heartstrings to see stories of kids in danger. We're just being told a lot of them right now. And maybe because we haven't been told those stories, maybe because Hollywood's been too scared to go there, but that's kind of where we are in terms of... Well, Star Wars is very know. pro-empathy no matter what. I think sure. that's probably for sure a mm -hmm. as well, you know. And I, I think this is also just something that uh, if we get more diverse creatives who aren't, you know, white dudes, <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better term, you know, they, they can, you know, Leslie Headland's show is going to be interesting to see because, you know, mm -hmm. she definitely got a different background. You know, the mm -hmm. Afra comics even to a certain extent different people of you know, writing yes. Afra as well and kind of seeing that, um, mm -hmm. you know, dealing with, you know, certain types of oppression. Hey, the race side. Hey, oh, and I don't worry. I think we're going to be able to finish before your show this time. Yep. So hooray. We, um, sorry, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> yes, that's why we started early. And, you know, that's going to be good as well, just to sort of see these, you know, different yeah. communities. And, you know, um, to get back by family and traditional values, mm -hmm. I think it's important, you know, it's like, well, what is traditional value? So, like, you know, mom, dad, and, you know, uh, son. That's a family. It's not two moms or two dads. Or, right. Yeah, or, we, we want to expand that circle wider. Yeah, sure. and, I think, and I think that's definitely yeah. something, you know. I mean, you know, I maybe that's one of, and that's, I think, maybe, I don't want to say it might have been one of Lucas's blind spots, but that's because, you know, he hmm. was born and raised in the time when that stuff wasn't really sad, sadly not there. And I think, you know, or, you know, mm -hmm. I read this before, you know, Mike Chan does a lot with the Nemoidians, you know, really show that they're not all just a bunch of bad guys you know mm -hmm. i can get into a whole thing about alien representation in yeah. star wars that sort of that could be here all week and i think mm -hmm. you know and i think that's definitely the core you know i think star wars is very anti-conformity anti anti yes. empathy pro empathy mm -hmm. that's for sure um and you know and, and very spiritual um and i think though but i think though that in some ways maybe Star Wars is kind of anti-institutions to a certain extent. Um, how far it goes is kind of hard to say. You know, like kind of the thing with the Jedi is that you know the Jedi as a, as, a, as a spiritual thing as a as a group they're fine, but then when they become bureaucratized and the council's right. just on Coruscant, it's like what are you doing there? <laughs> Even though I think there's arguments to be made of like. Well, you got all these very powerful people who could probably crush our brains with a wink <laughs> and a nod. You know, it's like, are they really above any certain types of law? Like, if yeah. a Jedi, or and even just if you go to a community, if like the Jedi go to a community, it's like, well, if that Jedi crushes somebody without permission with their mind, I would be nervous too. And I would like, yeah. yeah, you can't do that. Just because, what? Just because you can crush people with your with your head, with your thoughts, and then, you know, you're not above the law, yeah. Jedi. The point you know, being, is there the a way law. to regulate? the Jedi, Jedi power and whatnot. I mean, that's the question you bring up. Um, the whole question of the relationship between Jedi and Republic <laughs> in high Republic. state. Yeah. I, and the question of secularism versus, is this a Jedi Republic during the high Republic and whatnot? That's a whole episode that I would love to get into. And I, I hope to one day, but um, yeah, the question of how do we regulate, you know, I mean, Senator Tia Toon, for example, has this thing of saying, uh, 
yeah, Jedi are great. We love what they're doing. Uh, planets need to learn, be able to fend for themselves, so the Jedi can't be everywhere. And uh, yeah, the, I mean, it's it's it gets carried into maybe Leia's whole thing in Bloodline, you know, the populists point. You know, this is uh, right. building on the thing about eleven thirty eight and how, yeah, I, I can see that, especially both you know the First Order and the Republic, and and everyone is gone. What do you do? You have to rebuild local because it's all you got. The one thing I will say, so I just I'll, I'll say the one thing is when it comes to expanding the circle wider in terms of what is a family. Um, yeah, again, you know, I'm wearing I'm wearing this t-shirt, like you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Well, specifically, you know, I'm wearing, you know, the 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 one comic that doesn't need a pride variant because you know every issue is a pride variant, you know, and. and you know the the bond that she has, say with Santa Staros, is is I'm I'm here for it. I will say I do hope. Um, I'll say it's interesting how we've gone to this thing of the only thing that tugs on our heartstrings is our kids being in trouble. It used to be the only thing that tugs on our heartstrings is our romantic partner being in trouble. <laughs> and um, for those of us who don't have romantic partners right now, that that's uh, just doesn't connect with us. There's a whole group of folks who will never have romantic partners because they're asexual. And, um, you know, and, and I, I want to hear their critique and their concern to say, okay, friendship is a very powerful form of family that people will live and die for as well. And um, I mean, that is something we do see with the Jedi at their best, right? Again, they're not, they're not asexual. They're celibate. There's a difference, but uh, the, the idea that, there's something more than just your romantic connection. There's friendship. There's uh, common life. Yeah, let, let's 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 expand the circle wider around there. Oh yeah, it's actually interesting you brought that up. I was gonna bring up something else about uh, dip. I'll bring this up because it's a good point. It's sort of funny. Um, Star Wars is says is very much found family. You know, everything in Star Wars is sort of found family. It's actually kind of funny. Um, I mean, obviously Han and Leia, they're the romance there, but you know, um, it's funny that the thing that had the most romantic partnership in that actually caused more problems at the end of the day in the prequel with Padme and Anakin it's like yeah. oh shoot True. this got yeah. this got more problems than help so it's like if only um, if Anakin had uh, stayed solvent right now <laughs> exactly but you know uh, bad joke sorry I'm kidding too. <laughs> I, but you know um sorry far bad but you know yeah it's, it's interesting that um I was gonna bring up though uh just uh because I, I we talked a little about decentralization centralization I'll probably make this our last topic yeah. um I think it's important that we keep in mind that, you know, in, in America, we have that argument too, but it's a very corrupted argument because, like, stage rights, stage rights to do what? <laughs> like, right. we, we see what those, like, it's, and I think it's um, in, a, in, you know, the Galactic Republic, it's like, planet's rights. All right. Well, what's that planet doing? It's like, well, I have the right to, uh, you know, bomb my people because I'm the leader of this planet and I don't mm -hmm. care what the Galactic Republic says. Uh, you know, the Galactic Republic, like, you know, and it's sort of like, well, you know, you don't want to go the opposite direction, too, and it's like, that's when you get the Empire, centralized, centralized power, and, you know, um, you know, one of the things Favreau talked about when making The Mandalorian is, you know, when the Emperor falls, is it really democracy, or you just get a hundred different little willy, little warlords all controlling the little territories, mm -hmm. be it local or not, and it's sort of like, well, it's not that just the galactic government needs to reform and democratize. It's the, the planetary governments as well mm -hmm. need to democratize. And it's not like 
you know, giving plants more autonomy in your galactic republic doesn't mean they're going to be more democratic. It could just mean you're just essentially just letting the plant go wild and do whatever they want. Um, mm -hmm. Or so, like the, the, the little kings on little hills. Or the, yeah. the stakeholders, if you will, that get to consolidate all their power too. I mean, yeah, we have the problem here. I mean, especially I think about Alberta, um, you know, out west. The, you know, the Alberta is the most notorious for it. But I mean, Quebec maybe. In, I mean, Quebec is so. Here's an interesting example. Quebec is you could argue is the positive. Uh, we want to actually preserve the welfare of our our community, but you know, to the often to the exclusion of immigrants, people who don't speak French, Alberta. Uh, you know, West wants in, the West wants out, whatever. Um, <laughs> Trudeau can, you know, everything they say about Trudeau. Yeah, so I'll just say we, we have the pro same problem here too. It's a, it's a great point to make up. Right, and I think that's, you know, I think that's, um, that's why I don't think Star Wars is necessarily pro or anti-centralization, mm -hmm. decentralization. I mean, it probably not because it wants concentrated power in one person, but it's like, you can still have concentrated power in one person, just uh, there are a thousand little Palpatines running around. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll like, say this. This is why we Gene Roddenberry's ideal is nice, right? The Federation, you know, planets do have a degree of autonomy, except for Earth that doesn't need it. But yeah, you know, planets have a degree of autonomy, but they're already they're given that autonomy within the institutional power base of the Federation because they've already established these norms and. I mean, and the problem with Roddenberry is he has this vision of linear progress that the Orville picks up as well. Uh, but it is still this this vision to say, you know, we can be trusted with more autonomy if we have more communitarian norms. And I don't just want to say democratic norms, but communitarian norms, mutual respect, mutual care for the common good. And that's why I, if I were to write my New Republic book that really detailed like what the New Republican canon is all about, mm -hmm. I would actually like have it where it's like, because you know, I, I, I don't want, I, I, and I make this longer, but I love politics. You know, like you look at the old Republic, you got like monarchies in there. Like you got kings, yeah. like little mini dictators, your senators. And it's like, what's going on? And I like, <laughs> did they not care? And it's like, I was like, I wonder if Mon Mosma and the leaders of the Alliance and the New Republic were like, okay, you can join. But you got to have a set of, like, standards. Like, I know, like, the EU has, like, a set of, like, working standards. And you got to mm -hmm. have a number of certain amount of yeah. press freedoms. And kind of you got to treat your people right. Hopefully, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I mean, you know, I, I don't I know. Do. I mean, it's like, why Turkey doesn't have a chance now. Because of the way they treat the Kurds. Right? <laughs> yeah, or, exactly. So. Yeah, and it's sort of like, um, you know, I wonder if the New Republic kind of had, like, you can join us, but you got to. And, no, I obviously, it shouldn't be like, oh, those core worlds imposing their ideas but more like mm -hmm. no basic just respect and like yeah. king dictator dude can't become a senator of the new republic when he's treat his local mm -hmm. uh, population like you know we you know killing them off like you know it's like i kind of wonder if the new republic trying to wants to have like you can be autonomous obviously but we gotta all have a certain set of standards here yeah. what we what we want to do um i'll put it this way i wonder if it's you know the politics of star wars is Skeptical of institutions, mm -hmm. but for all that, uh, pro-constitution, you know, pro-charter of rights or, or bill of rights or whatnot. Um, having not some way, Wild West. Yeah, having some basis to to mm -hmm. ensure a standard of, you know, you know, a standard of a democratic norms, a standard of liberty within mm -hmm. which 
this is the ideal, and this is again the ideal of the Federation as well, within which communities, planets can pursue, you know, Luke's Johnny Temple can pursue uh, the, their communal well-being. I, I think I think yeah. the way I put it, and I'll, and I'll tie it into Andor before I, I think we'll make this the last point. Mm-hmm. It's the difference I think we'll see between Mon Mothma and Saw Gerrera. Yes. Both are right. Both need to fight the Empire, and Saw makes a good point. Is you gotta, you know, you can't negotiate with cities. You gotta, you gotta fight them. You gotta fight hard. Mm-hmm. But I think the difference is Saw wouldn't have stopped when the Empire fell. I think he seems. I think by the time of Rogue One, he's so compromised. It's not part of. You know, I want to establish a certain set of democratic norms and community human rights. Yeah. I want the empire to burn in all heck, as it should, <laughs> as it should. Mm-hmm. But I think Mon Mothma, Leia, got a little bit more of a bigger picture here. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, we want the empire to burn too. Maybe we don't want it to go as extreme as you do saw. But, you know, we kind of agree that we got to fight back. Mm-hmm. I think Leia probably would definitely got to be a little bit more, you know, yeah. headstrong of that. But, you know, it's like, we got to also think about what comes next because, you know, if we don't, if we're not careful, obviously the empire is terrible, but that doesn't necessarily equal something better comes out of it. Right. And obviously I'm not defending, don't fight, you know, fight fascism hard, but be careful because point. you can just end up with just, just total destruction. Um, yeah. And, you know, we don't want that. And I'm curious if, if Andor will touch on that. And I, I hope it does. Mm-hmm. Doc seems to make it really interesting that it probably will. So, yeah. um, yes, unless you have any more points, Matthew. Just say, I agree with that. It's great. Uh, I mean, every, you know, you, you look at the French Revolution and how that <laughs> led to the tyranny of Napoleon. Um, you know, I mean, so many, re- so many dictatorships were born from rebellion. <laughs> you know, so to have that forward thinking, I think about Mon Mothma, I think in the, sorry, the audiobook to Life Debt. I read. I did the audiobook for that. Mon Mothma saying to Leia about this very question: "We're no longer fighting a rebellion. We're building a government. We're building, in that in that case, a galactic community." But yeah, uh, there there is this. What comes next? That Mon Mothma, that Emmeline Holdo, that I think Leia and older Leia definitely grasp that. You know, the younger generation does or doesn't sometimes, and saw saw never grew up. I mean, Saw was still fighting the separatists on on drone. You know, he died oh, yeah. fighting the separatists on drone. You know, so. Oh yeah, and you know, I don't want to. I I I don't think either. I'm someone who thinks this is where my both sides uh thing kind of comes into play because they're both right. You know, Saw when Saw and Mon Mothma <laughs> rebels are like, you know, like you play by your rules, and you know, it's like obviously you can't play by the Empire's rules. But you no. know, you know, it's like you know, it's like if you're fighting in the Senate, then you, what are you doing, Mom? If my mom actually thinks that the Senate can do a good job in the Empire, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You, you're not helping anyone here. You got you got to arm yeah. up at this point. But you know, yeah, uh, I mean, but by the same logic, Saw is also played <coughs> by the Empire's rules. Sure, I mean, he's gonna he's he won't he's not thinking future. He's thinking now, no. and that's sometimes good. But you also got to think a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Um. But if I keep going, I'm going to be here all day. Yeah. We, we made a point to not do Hannah's show. So, yeah. not be, not, uh, we're going to, we want to be on Hannah's show, but we want to not overlap with it. So, mm-hmm. uh, that's about it, everybody. That, all right. Got a good, got lots of good points. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Hi, Hannah, if you're still here. Um, good luck with the show tonight. Um, if you like what you heard or have some thoughts to add, feel free to put them in the comments below. Also, please do give this channel a like and share and subscribe. 
to the channel if you haven't done so already. Um, and again, you can find us at Ion Cannon Pod at Ion Cannon Pod. You can follow me at GID2021. Matthew, where can they follow you? Twitter, NAUG485, Instagram, MNAUG 1138 Again, Ion Cannon Pod and Tractor Beam on uh, Thursdays, Fridays. Also, all of our uh, video episodes, YouTube episodes, the full show also go up on our Spotify feed. So check that out as well. Yes, yes. Um, you know, again, follow us there. Um, next week, we hope to maybe do panel one. We'll see. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have some guests. We won't. We don't know. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but until next time, Matthew, let's blow this thing and go home.